0: 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, a very familiar passage of Scripture. I want to preach to you on a thought tonight that I hope will be a help to you and encouragement. An encouragement to do something for Jesus Christ. I think every single one of us ought to be doing something for Jesus Christ. Don't you believe that? I believe we all ought to be doing our best, and I believe we can all be doing something. We may not be able to do everything, but I believe all of us can do something for Him. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, and I'd like to begin reading at verse number 10. Paul writing says, According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Let's pray together tonight. Heavenly Father... Thank you for this time and opportunity. Now, Lord, open our hearts to your word. Make it real and applicable in our lives. Father, I pray that we would all find ourselves under your examination lens. God, that you would see in us what needs to be changed, what needs to be strengthened and fortified. God, that we'd respond in obedience as you speak to our hearts. Lord, we love you tonight and we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. We have in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3 what is essentially a passage concerning the judgment seat of Christ. But as I read this passage, I'm struck that there are three categories of people that are mentioned in this verse. Two of them you will see very readily, but there's a third that I believe is implied that we don't talk about very often. Do you know that each and every one of us that have been born again by the grace of God, we have an opportunity to do something for Jesus Christ? Now, there's some that are going to do uh, very little, some that are going to do nothing, some that are going to do much, but we all have a responsibility and there's always a response that we're going to give. Uh, you cannot confront a person with truth without them responding in one way, shape, fashion or another. And in this passage, as I look at these three groups of people, I see some things that are similar and I see some things that are different. Aren't you thankful that though all of us are different, we can all be something in Jesus Christ? Aren't you thankful that no matter what limitations we may have, He can be our sufficiency? And aren't you thankful that He's given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness? Every single person in this room is going to do something with Jesus Christ. You're going to respond in some way. He's given you these things. What are we going to do with them? As I read these passages, and by the way, each of these groups of people are denoted by the little word if. And I think that's important because it shows the possibility that we all have. Now, I'm not a motivational speaker. I'd probably be a pretty bad one if I was. Amen. But, uh, you know, uh, there is some truth to the fact that there is possibility in our lives, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. And I think it's been put before and very aptly so that all we are is a collection of zeros. I I mean, there's not a one of us that's worthy. There's not a one of us that in and of ourselves is of value. But aren't you thankful that just one person can change it all? You can have a bunch of zeros, but you stick a one in its proper place and it changes the value of the whole thing. Though we may not be anything, in Jesus Christ we can be something. And there's a possibility for us to do th- some great things for Jesus Christ if we're only willing to do so. As I see these through gr- three groups, I, I want to say that some of the things that we see similar are, are that they all had the same foundation. Now let me be very clear in saying I'm not teaching universalism. I'm not preaching that everyone is a child of God. We're all God's creation, but we're not all God's children. But of the three groups that we're looking at tonight, all three of them are designated as having the same foundation. It says very clearly in verse 11, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid which is Jesus Christ. In other words, all three of these groups of people, they've all started out right. They've all been born again. They're all eternally saved. Let me say that if that's never happened in your life, it doesn't matter what else you do, nothing will avail but the blood of Jesus Christ. We all must have this foundation if we're going to see heaven, if we're going to be redeemed, if we're going to be forgiven, if we're going to escape hell. It's only going to be through the foundation of Jesus Christ. Now, these uh, three groups of people, they didn't start with a false foundation. Uh, They started with a foundation that they could build upon. So they all have the same foundation. Let me say that they all have the same examination that they were going to be put under. Uh, Look with me very clearly in verse 13. It says, every man's work shall be made manifest. In other words, there wasn't one group of people that wasn't going to be examined. There wasn't one group of people that was going to be examined any more than any other. But the Bible says that every man's work shall be made manifest. Paul put it this way, he said, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, There won't be any passes on that day. There won't be any calling in sick on that day. Whatever excuses we may have made before, we will keep that appointment. We will answer for the things that we've done. We will give an account for the things done in the body. We will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You say, preacher, what if I'm not ready? Well, you'll have to be ready, because when that day comes, there's no putting it off. You say, preacher, what if there's more that I wanted to do? Well, I hate to say this, but there may have been more that you wanted to do. But if you didn't get it done by that day, there'll be no other opportunity to get it done. Uh, Let me tell you something, friend. If we're going to serve God, we better get busy, because Christ is coming back. I mean, that's the flat-out truth of it. If we're going to do it, we better do it now, because we may not have tomorrow. This day of examination is coming to all believers alike. We'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Let me say, not only did they have the same foundation and the same examination. I like this. I think it's important if we're going to be doctrinally correct. But they all have the same preservation. Look down at verse, I believe it's number 15. It says, If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved yet so as by fire. Now, again, denote that word in the context. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So doctrinally, I believe it's clear here that what we're dealing with is not the security of the believer. Every believer that's been born again is secure in Jesus Christ. What's at stake here is not your salvation. You didn't earn your salvation, you can't lose your salvation. You've either received what Jesus Christ did for you upon Calvary, called upon His precious and magnificent name to forgive you of your sins and for Him to save you and wash you or you've not. Those are the only distinctions. You say, Preacher, I've never done that. Well, there's nothing that can replace it. You say, Preacher, I've already done that. Well, there's nothing that can remove it. That is an absolute unalterable fact. Either you've been saved or you've not been saved. And if you've been saved, you've been saved by grace and there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. So every single one of these men, it's clear that regardless what happened in their life, that they were going to be saved or they were already saved and that salvation was not at stake. Now, you don't have to keep your salvation. Christ is keeping your salvation. You don't have to earn your salvation. Christ paid for your salvation. You don't have to work for your salvation. His work was enough to save you. These three different things are all common about these men. And yet we find that God places a great distinction between their lives. I want to say first off, and I want to introduce you to, I believe, the first person that we're going to meet, the first group of people. I believe first off, we see the man who built the right thing. The Bible is equating here our lives to that of building something. Uh, Your life didn't begin. Hey, a building has not started until they've laid the foundation. Say amen right there. I mean, it doesn't matter. They they may have looked at a plot, but if they've not laid the foundation, the building hadn't been started. They may have talked about buying a plot, but if the foundation hasn't been laid, the building hasn't started. It begins with the foundation. It begins with our salvation in Jesus Christ. But though you did not earn your salvation, though you do nothing to keep your salvation, it is a fact uh, that we're going to have to make a decision after we've been saved how we're going to live our lives. The Bible equates it to building something. Building, we could say a house here. Uh, it does not necessarily say a house, but we could equate it uh, to a house. It does say down in verse 16 that we're the temple of God. Uh, but they're building something here. And we have an examination first. A man that did this the right way. Can I say that I think it's important we denote that there's a right way and a wrong way to do things. I, I mean, you say, preacher, that's obvious. It's not as obvious to everyone as you'd think. There's some that believe that any means and any method in any way is the right way as long as it sees results in some way, shape, fashion, or form. The Bible teaches that we're going to be judged on how we built our lives, how we did the things that we've done, our motives and our methods as well as our materials. This man did the right thing. Uh, He's spoken about in verse 14, If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Two categories of materials are spoken of. Uh, one is eternal, the other temporal. One is stable, the other instable. Uh, one is of value, the other is not. The Bible denotes it as gold, silver, and precious stones, or wood, hay, stubble. Now, let me say in all fairness, and to be scripturally fair with you, that most likely all of our lives will contain some measure of both these if we've done anything for Jesus Christ. In my life, I'm sure when I stand before Christ, I'd love to tell you there won't be any wood, hay or stubble, but I'm afraid there's going to be at least some, if not a majority of it. And that's what terrifies me. Uh, But the Bible speaks of this man, the man that that builded solidly, the man that did things correct, that he used the wood or um, excuse me, the gold, silver, and the precious stone. And in doing so, he did things the right way. I got to thinking about the gold, the silver, and the precious stone. Seems like an odd thing to build a building out of, doesn't it? But it bespeaks certain things. And I want to say, first off, that this man built with great sacrifice. It cost him something. He could have gone the cheap way, but instead he elected to go the way that was difficult and the way that cost him something. I'll be honest, I may not do any backflips or snort or spit or anything, but let me just be absolutely blunt with you in saying, if you're going to serve Jesus Christ, it's going to cost you some things. It's not going to be easy. I mean, whoever told you that the Christian life was an easy road, I'm sorry, brethren, but they lied to you. It's going to, it's going to take some sacrifice. Uh, no doubt this man to attain these, and we could have all of the theological debates that we wish uh, concerning where he got the gold and the silver and the precious stone. Whether he had to give something to get it, or whether he just gave it away to do this building, uh, it matters not. The, the issue is that instead of hoarding these things to himself, he used them to do something constructive with them. Do you know that everything you've got is a gift from God? I mean, everything. You say, well, preacher, you don't understand. You know, I worked pretty hard. If you got the health to work... There's somebody give it to you. I mean, there's a lot of people in this world that ain't got the, the, the health to work. There's a lot of people in this world that are born, that are uh, physically deformed or, or mentally deformed in some way and uh, are lacking those things. Listen, it's a blessing from God if we've got those things. Not to mention that there's a lot of people that are able and willing, and I don't know that you could have always said this concerning this country, but I believe today we do live in a day when there's a lot of people in this country that are able and willing and motivated to work that can't do it because they ain't got the jobs to do it. I mean, there's people that want to be doing, but can't be doing. And yet here we sit and God's blessed us in immeasurable ways. He's given us some things. Now, here's the question. What are we going to do with them? Now, this man could have looked at this gold and silver and precious stone and said, oh, God's given me this for my pleasure. And there's a lot of people that feel that way about it. They feel like God has blessed them with these things just because they're so wonderful and uh, uh, that they're for their pleasure and their consumption. The Bible teaches that all the resources that are given for us, they're given that we might do something for Jesus Christ. I'll tell you when money becomes a God in people's lives is when they see it as a means to their pleasure instead of a means to his glory. That's when it becomes an idol. We could say that of uh, any number of things. We could say it of children. We could say it of spouses. We could say it of any manner of material things or emotional things in our life, any manner of things. They're given to us not for our comfort, but for his glory. Now, they may bring us comfort. Praise the Lord when they bring us comfort. I've been reading and studying about uh, the book of Jonah, chapter number 4. And there's three things in chapter number 4. There's four in total in the whole book, but three things in chapter 4 that God prepared for Jonah. He prepared for Jonah a gourd that grew over his head. And do you know that that gourd delivered Jonah from his grief? That's what I believe it's verse 6 says. But do you know that it was for the express purpose that God would gain glory out of it? I mean, it gave him comfort. Praise the Lord that it gave him comfort. But you know, when God prepared a worm to destroy the gourd, then Jonah despaired even of his life. See, Jonah hadn't learned how to love the giver instead of the gift yet. He saw it as something for his comfort rather than something to be used for God's glory. As soon as we see it in that way, we'll be willing to sacrifice. We'll be willing to give, whether it's money or time or effort or energy or whatever it might be that God would ask of us, every bit of it is for His glory. This man had to give some things up. Let me say that He built not only with great sacrifice, but with great stability. wonder why He chose gold and silver and precious stones. Any number of things He could have chosen from. But in stark contrast to the wood and the hay and the stubble, let me say that I think it's clear that these were eternal items that He was building. Things that were not easily destroyed. Things that would not crumble. Things that would last. Let me tell you something, if you're going to do anything for Jesus Christ worth doing, you have to get your head in eternity. You have to get your head in eternity. Do you understand what I'm saying tonight? I mean, you have to see this as eternal business, and it is eternal business. I mean, you have to see this as a spiritual battle, and you have to see this as a matter of honoring and pleasing God and laying up treasures in heaven. I believe he used these materials because he knew they were going to last I'll tell you part of the problem with this today. And you say, oh, preacher, you mean the people outside of the walls? No, I mean the man standing here preaching in front of you, as well as all of it. Our problem is that we're too fixed in time today. We're too nearsighted. We're all worried about the immediate instead of looking towards the eternal. If we get our minds in eternity, considering that what we do is abounding for the glory of God and abounding that we might please Him and see fruit that would remain, it would cause us to be willing to work more, to be ser- to serve more, to sacrifice more, to do more for Jesus Christ. I'm not trying to have a pep rally tonight. All I'm merely saying is that it would get us motivated if we would see the long-lasting results of serving Jesus Christ. There's a lot of people in this world that the moment that their eyes uh, close in death, all that they've worked for and all that they've done will be absolutely meaningless. The man that was building the right way, he looked forward and he said, you know, I want to build with eternity in mind. Let me ask you a simple question. Of course, I don't want raised hands or any outward expression, but in your own heart, ask yourself this question. When was the last time I did something for eternity? For eternity. Now, I'd say most of us, we could say, when the last time we went through a drive through and got something to feed our temporal bodies, we could probably uh, say, I remember the last time I went to work and uh, gained some money or went to the bank and cashed that check uh, from retirement or whatever it might be. I remember the last time uh, that I went out and mowed the yard. I mean, uh, my goodness, mowing the yard. If there's nothing more temporal than that, I don't know what it is, Brother Charlie. It seems like every time you turn around, that, that grass, you mow it. Down. It's, my grass grows with vengeance. Does that make sense? I mean, it's like my grass is offended that I've cut it down. It grows twice as fast, amen? My wife said, no, you just wait twice as long to mow it. But we could probably all name some... Let me ask you something. When was the last time you did something with eternity in mind? When was the last time that you gave understanding that would be to God's glory and to your own good throughout eternity. When was the last time you witnessed to someone, understanding that though you may not see the fruit of it, that God would honor it and God would bless it? On and on we could go. Let me ask you something. When was the last time, and I understand, I, I know if there's ever preaching to the choir, this is it right here, but uh, you'd rather have me preach to you than make you sing, amen. Uh, but uh, let me ask you something. When was the last time that we've come through the doors for the sole purpose of glorifying God? Not because we enjoy the fellowship. Hey, I love fellowship. I mean, I enjoy it. I, I enjoy spending time around people. Uh, you know, I was joking. I was talking with uh, George and Jane the other day. Uh, I, I'm sure you people think I'm just keeping tabs on you. Every time I go on vacation, I come back here and preach to you. I, I'm sure you think I, I don't trust. It's not that. I love being around God's people. And I love being around my church family. But listen, that ought not be my motivation. That ought not be my motivation. My motivation ought to be to be in God's house because it honors him, because it pleases him, because it's something eternal that I can be doing for his glory and honor. I believe this man uh, built with great sacrifice, and with great stability. But let me say, I believe he built with great steadfastness. I don't know if we've got any builders in here. I mean, I'm sure everybody's done a little bit. I'm building on some closets in my house right now. And uh, it's amazing how difficult the easy job can become if you don't have the proper tools. Some of you men say, "Men, right there, you've been there. And, uh, you know, I, I've been, I, I've been working, trying to chip the floor out or, or get the floor out, cut the floor out so that I could lay base plates. Some of you, this don't mean nothing to Some of you, it makes sense. But, uh, you know, it, it's, I didn't have the proper tools to use. And so I found myself, now don't laugh, neighbor, but I found myself chiseling away at our hardwood floor with a flathead screwdriver. You ever found yourself in that bad a shape before? And, uh, you know, but even at that, I mean, it was kind of difficult, Brother Ralph, but I was able to manage. I was able, let me ask something, how much time do you think it would have took me if I was trying to do the same thing against a block of gold, bar of silver? Trying to dig into a diamond. How long do you think it would have took me? My guess is this, and those of you that have done some building, you probably know that it would be a lot easier and quicker to build with wood, hay, and stubble than it would be to build with gold and silver and precious stones. Probably took them a little bit more time. It's probably a little bit more frustrating. Hey, there was probably less room for error. He had to be steadfast in his work. He couldn't give up. He couldn't give up when things got difficult. because probably they'd been difficult from the outset. But he said, I'm going to stick in because I think what I'm doing is worth doing. Let me say that again. So it soaks into my heart as well as yours. I think he stuck with it because he knew what he was doing was worth doing. What is it that causes us to be steadfast? I'll be honest with you. I mean, uh, results are great and fruit is great in ministry. But if you only do what you do because the outward fruit, you won't be doing it very long. Because there's going to be times when things seem dry. There's going to be times when things seem difficult. There's times you go in that prayer closet and it's like the glory of God just followed you right in and fell all over you. There's going to be times when you go into your prayer closet and you're going to feel like there's a 14 foot sheet of concrete above your head. There's going to be times you're going to open that Bible and it's like it's going to fall open and God's going to show things to you that you've never imagined, that you've never seen. There's going to be times that you're going to open that book and it's just going to seem like words on a page. What causes us to be steadfast? I I believe he did this. I believe the reason he would take the difficult route was because he knew what he was doing was worth doing. He didn't do it for a little while and then quit. He stuck with it. He wasn't building the house. Listen, it's evident that he wasn't building the house for those that were around him. I mean, this other man built with wood, hay and stubble. As far as we know, he didn't uh, bring upon himself a judgmental attitude from many of his neighbors. And I understand it's a spiritual allegory. I understand that it's a metaphor. I understand all these things. What I'm saying is this. I believe this man was building because he knew one day the master inspector was going to take a look at his work. That's why he was steadfast. That's what kept him going. When no one else would, that's what kept him going. When everyone else was building with wood, hay and stubble, that's what kept him molding away and carving away and working away with the gold and the silver and the precious stones. He knew one day he was going to give an account for it. He wanted it to be built right. We see a man that built this the right way. Well, let me say, sadly, we see a man that built things The wrong way. He built the wrong thing. Look at verse number uh, 15 with me. Uh, The Bible says, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. This is the man that built with the wood and the hay and the stubble. I began to think about those materials and the significance of them. Uh, Most of you, if you've built anything, you've probably built it with wood. I mean, that's pretty common in this area. You may live in a mud hut. I don't know. It may be the nicest mud hut on your street. I don't know. I don't mean that derogatory, but mostly around here we build with wood. Wood is a common building material. But anyone will tell you that wood is not something that's going to last forever. There may have been some of you that built a deck out back and uh, 10, 15 years ago it looked good and it was sturdy and now uh, you're starting to worry whenever you step out on it. You've got areas that are bowing down and coming loose and maybe some rotten areas. Wood is what we would call a temporal thing. I believe part of this man's problem is that he built with temporal things. He built with the things that were temporary, the things that were earthly, the things that were not supernatural, the things that were not divine. Let me ask you something. What's the most important thing in your life to you? What's that one thing that if your house was lit to fire, you'd go for first? What is that one thing that occupies the place of value in your heart and life? Let me ask you something. Is it something temporal or is it something eternal? I believe part of the main problem with Christianity today is we have an overabundance of carnality in the hearts of Christians. Carnality is dealing with those things that are natural, those things that are worldly, those things that do not last. The Bible says that we're not to look on temporal things, but on eternal. I mean, is, is the most important and most valuable thing to you, the next paycheck or the next, uh, new house, the next new car. And I understand uh, who we're dealing with tonight. I understand this is a Wednesday night crowd. I understand we've got a lot of people that are, uh, that the house they're living in is the last one they ever want to live in. Uh, there's some of us, the car you're driving is the last one you ever want to have to buy. I understand that, but it doesn't change the fact that we can put way too much value on the temporal things. What is it that, what is it that defines us? what is it that defines us do we gain our identity from the things that we've got from the things that we have i remember growing up and i've shared this with you before but i i'm thankful my parents and they're they're not rich or if they are i i better not you know find out about it now amen but dad worked hard you know and he, he worked hard in a time when if a man was willing to work hard he could have a good job and it could support his family and sustain his family. Uh, they're better off than a lot of people are. And growing up, I I never realized that we were better off than a lot of people were because those things didn't define us. Mama made sure of that. Uh, whenever we was growing up, I mean, we grew up mostly secondhand clothes. I mean, we got to a time when they came out with Rosses and Marshall's and stuff, we moved up a step, amen, because then we could just get pants where one pant leg was shorter than the other because it was cheap enough. But... Growing up, we we wore a lot of goodwill clothes and secondhand stuff and hand-me-down stuff. And that's part of the reason that they were able to be as well off as they, they were. I mean, you know, Dad could have his boat. We had to wear pants with one leg shorter than the other. But Dad had his boat, so that's all that mattered. But, uh you know, growing up, those things did not define us. I mean, when we looked at ourselves, we didn't define ourselves by the house that we lived in, by the cars that we drove, by the things that we wore. You say, oh, preacher, that that's soft preaching. No, that's a real problem in churches today. And i tell you where we see it. We don't see it on the back end when people have defined themselves by it. We see it on the front end when they let those things consume their life in the pursuit of it. That's where we're seeing. People are more concerned with that above anything else. I mean, it ought to bother us when something takes the place of God's uh, word or God's how children are these things in our life. Well, those things ought not be what we're building our life of. I believe he built not only with temporal things, but with trivial things. I thought about hay. And uh, I guess if you're a farmer, hay's a pretty important thing. Uh but hay is just it's just fodder, it's just feed. I mean it's it's there one moment and it's gone the next. It's it's really it's a trivial matter. I mean it's a necessity to some degree. But it ought not be the main thing or the only thing. The farmer doesn't buy cattle so that he can buy hay for them. He buys hay to feed the cattle that are of value. You know, there's a lot of things in our life that are necessities, but we have elevated them to a level and degree of taking the priority. There are a lot of things in our life that God has given us just so that we move and breathe and have our being that we've taken and elevated to the place of idols in our life. And I know maybe I'm whipping on a dead horse when I say this, but God's blessed us with a lot of temporal things in our life that we've elevated to a place of idolatry. We're consumed with them, and that's what drives us, and that's what means something to us, and that's the only thing that matters. I mean, hey, listen, we miss God's house, or we miss God's tithe, or we miss God's opportunities given us to witness someone. We miss our time in God's Word. We miss time praying to God in the prayer closet. Those things are of none effect and of no consequence to us. But let us miss a day of work and nelly bar the door. I mean, let, let us miss something that we enjoy and nelly bar the door. I mean, let us miss something uh, temporal and then it's all falling apart. That's mixed up priorities, friend. We've put in the trivial things in the place of the eternal. We've gotten things turned around. I believe he was building not only with uh, with temporal things, trivial things, but I believe and I thought about stubble. I don't think it means stubble. I think it means what's left over. I think there's a lot of people building their Christian life with trash. What's left over? Just what's left over. Listen, I, I, I don't if, if it don't mean anything to you, just the bare simple thought of it, there's nothing I can say, there's no way I can say it to make it hit home. But open your heart and listen to what I'm about to say. Most of us are guilty of giving Christ the leftovers. The leftovers of our time, the leftovers of our energy, the leftovers of our paycheck, the leftovers of our emotions, the leftover of our passion. We're guilty of giving Him just what's left over, just just what we could afford after everything else was met. It's been said before, and I've said it many times, I believe, from this pulpit, but nothing will ever be done for Christ with spare time and spare change. It's going to take the substantial. It's going to take that which means something. You know God could do it any way He wants it, but I I think He does it that way for a reason. I, I don't think God's really all that interested in any of those other things. I think He's interested in us. And He knows that to get to us, there's some things that are going to have to be dethroned in our life. We're going to have to quit giving Christ the leftovers just what we have after it's all said and done. We're going to have to start giving them the preeminence in our life and giving them that which is the best and that which is the most. Uh, There's a lot of people that say, you know, well, preacher, you know, Old Testament tithe, they only gave 10%. I really think that's all that's important. Uh, Read your Old Testament. They gave the best 10%. They gave the first 10%. They gave the best 10%. They didn't just give 10%. They gave 23 and a third percent because they tithe to the work, to the workers, and to the tabernacle. Every three years they would tithe uh, to the maintenance of the tabernacle. The point is they were giving their absolute best. I mean, that was what God required of them. They were given their absolute best. Uh, this given the leftovers business, it ain't going to get it done. And it may not affect you in this life. I mean, I'm just being honest with you. It'll affect your fellowship with the Lord. And it may affect the means through which God can bless you. But there's a lot of people that are going to finish out their earthly sojourn and not have given Christ their best. And they're still going to finish out and have food on their table and food in their refrigerator and clothes uh, on their back. And they're still going to have a roof over their head. But they're going to step inside eternity and realize what a mistake that they've made. They're going to realize what they've sold themselves short on, what they have given up so that they could have first in this life. Let me tell you something, eternity's a lot longer than this present blip of time that we're living in. You're going to wish, and I'm going to wish, that we had given Christ our absolute best, the absolute preferred, and the absolute best choice in our lives when we step into eternity and have to live through eternity with what we've given up. I believe we see the man who built the right thing I believe we see the man who built the wrong thing. But I want you to notice with me, finally, and I'm just going to touch on this and close. Look at verse number 12. I told you that each of these men, groups of men, were designated by the little word, if. In verse number uh, 14, it says, if any man's work abide. And in verse number 15, it says, if any man's work shall be burned. But there's another group of people, and and I fear that many of us are falling in this category. Look at verse 12. It says, now, if any man build... Upon this foundation. If any man build upon this foundation. The word if designates some possibility of the absence of something taking place or something existing. In other words, I I might say, well, if I'm going to do that or if I'm going to do this or if I'm going to go there or if I'm going to want that. What we're denoting is the possibility of the absence of. Of something, And in verse number 12, I believe we have already seen the man who built the right thing and the man who built the wrong thing. But I believe we have just a hint of the man who built nothing. If any man build, it Tells me we have a choice whether we're going to build anything at all. There are some people that are going to live this life and never have done a thing for Jesus Christ. You say, preacher... That's not me. Let me ask you something. If all you've ever done for him is wood, hay, and stubble, it's as if you've done nothing. It's as if you've done nothing. There's a lot of people that are rejoicing in the foundation. Listen carefully to what I'm about to say. It's good to admire the foundation. But admiring the foundation doesn't build anything. A lot of people will get to heaven with nothing but a salvation testimony. And they'll spend all their life... You know, I know it may seem sometimes, and maybe this will ring home, maybe it won't, but... I, I. you know... A preacher has a lot of control over the environment of a service. You know that, Brother Ralph? I mean, he does. And I'm not saying that he controls people, or I'm not saying he should be controlling. But I'm merely saying, you know, a preacher, through the substance of what he preaches and through the direction of the service, you kind of have a choice over over what kind of service that you're going to have. I mean, if a man gets up, preaches about nothing but heaven, there's a better chance that everybody's going to shout their rafters down and run Nile an and, and, and do a lap and shout glory, hallelujah. If you get up and, and uh, preach on adultery, uh, less people are going to shout when you do. That You know, so there's a choice somewhat that a preacher uh, can make. And do you realize there's a lot of churches that are doing nothing but admiring the foundation? That's all their services consist of. Now, don't you misunderstand me. I believe we ought to lift up the name of Jesus high and holy. I believe He ought to have the preeminence. I believe He ought to increase and we ought to decrease. And I believe no matter what kind of service we have, it ought to all be about Him. But do you know when you preach the whole counsel of God, do you know that that uplifts Jesus Christ? Who do you think is the whole counsel of God? I mean, when you magnify uh, His Word, you're magnifying Him. And there's a choice we have. There's a lot of churches that exist for the sole purpose of admiring the foundation, but they're never building anything thereon. All that they're about is getting together and have a shout. Hey, I love it. I mean, I love a shout and service. I love it when people get happy. I want that as much as we can have it. But understand that there's some building that has to take place too. There's some times when our tools have to be sharpened. When our materials, we've got to take an, an account of them, an in the inventory of our lives. When we've got to step back, I think one of the wisest things that you can do when you're building something is every once in a while to just step back, and take the square. Take the plumb line, take the level and lay it to it and make sure what you're building is still straight. If you've done any time building anything, you know that without ever even realizing it, you can build something out of square. You didn't even realize, just just an eighth of an inch here, eighth of an inch, a sixteenth here, a quarter here. Before you know it, the whole thing is crooked and the whole thing's off. There's times we've got to step back and lay the square to this thing and ask yourself, is my life measuring up to what the Word of God asks and demands? Is my life what Christ would expect of it. I think that's one of the most valuable things we can do. Or else we might wind up getting to heaven and realizing we've built the whole thing out of shoddy materials. We built the whole thing out of square. We built the whole thing thinking it was right. Because every way of a man is right in his own eyes. Every way of a man is right and clean in his own eye. doesn't matter what it is. All of us, myself, you, every person living in this world, we all believe that we're right all the time. That's the fact of it. Uh, The only concession we make is I don't know. But most of the time, people, unless they're caught in the fact of it, uh, they won't admit they were wrong. We all always think we're right. and The Bible says we all always think we're right. But how do we designate what is really right and what is really wrong? We do so by looking into the perfect law of liberty, into the Word of God, looking at our life and comparing it in light of the truth of God's Word and asking ourselves, am I doing this thing the right way? There's some people that aren't going to build anything. And I want to say there's, there's three things they do, and I'm just going to say it, and I'm going to hush. I want to say, first off, they scorn their responsibility. It is a response, not optional. God gives us a choice just as he gives us a choice whether we're going to sin or not. But it's not optional if we're going to be pleasing unto God. I mean, uh, the Bible says, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Part of the Christian life is understanding that we have a responsibility to do more than just get saved. We have a responsibility to do more than just get saved. That's where it begins, but that's not where it ends. We're to go on unto perfection, the Bible says. We're to go on in walking with Christ. We're foreordained to walk in good works. God's plan is that we move ahead. This man scorned his responsibilities. But let me say, not only did he scorn his responsibilities, but he squandered his resources. You've heard the terminology before, the old phrase, uh, use it or lose it. The Bible says God's given us all things pertaining unto life and godliness. And I just feel like sometimes, and I, I, and I would not presume to be judge over another man's life or to designate when I feel like God's judgment has been upon them or not, not unless it was abundantly clear would I do such a thing. But let me say, I believe there's a lot of people in this world, uh, they had good health and they wouldn't use it for Jesus Christ and God took it. A lot of people have money in this world, and they didn't use it for Jesus Christ, and God took it. A lot of people had family in this world. They wouldn't use it for Jesus Christ, and God took it. That's not every situation. That's not every family. It's not every uh, tragedy that happens. You know me well enough to know that's not what I'm saying. But I also believe that judgment begins first at the house of God. I believe that there are some situations where that is the case. This man had these resources. He could have done this. He had the option. He had the choice, just like you do, just like I do. And he chose to scorn his responsibility and squander his resources. And let me say in doing so, and I'm done, that he surrendered his reward. He's not even spoken of, although we do know that he will be at this day of judgment. We do know he will be at this day of judgment, this man that did nothing. And I'm reminded of the man that snuck into the... (laughs) Into the king's son's wedding, and whenever the king came to him and asked him, said, "Where's your wedding garment?" I understand that's a picture of salvation. I'm fully aware of that truth, but the Bible says that he answered him nothing. All the excuses will burn up and burn away. All will be left with is what we've done for Jesus Christ. The question is, what will that day be like for you? The Bible says, in "The Old Testament woe unto them that desire the day of the Lord." Say, it's darkness and not light. Paul said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. There's a lot of us. I would say all of us are going to have some things that we're not going to be proud of on that day. But our entire life doesn't have to be a waste. You may say, preacher, I've got more of the road behind me than ahead of me. Then make what's left count. Make it mean something. No reason to go out bankrupt just because there may have been some parts of your life that were not devoted to Christ. Whatever it is, any portion of your life, Christ is willing to take it and make of it something marvelous. The question, how would you characterize yourself tonight? Would you be the man that did the right thing and built the right thing? Would you be the man that built the wrong thing? Would you be the man that built nothing? Most of us would say, I'm the man that built something. We wouldn't say, I'm the man that built the right thing or built everything, but we'd say, I'm the man that built something. So here's the question tonight. What of your life needs to be surrendered to Christ that you might build the right thing?